Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 177, week 177, volume 177, number fucking 177. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Doyle of Foreign Pain, and that will be coming up later in the show. Usually we start things with a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. And it's been a pretty quiet week, so not a lot to say. Except to say thank you, as always, to everyone that's getting involved with The Mosh Zone, whether that's listening to it, following it on social medias, giving it a rating and review. Just thank you to each and every fucking one of you. Love you all. But enough of that. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I'm going to sit down with Doyle of Foreign Pain. And the first thing I'm going to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Foreign Pain? For those of you that are unaware or uneducated, they are a band that formed around about four to five years ago and have recently released their debut album. That album is titled Death of Divinity, and it's out now on Good Fight Music. Style-wise, Foreign Pain are hardcore, metallic hardcore, but don't let that undersell or underplay the amazing abilities, ferocity, and just fucking sexy fucking stuff that Foreign Pain does. This is a band that you are going to see and hear a lot of over the next few months and years, and this is just the starting point. I'm a big fan of this band and a big fucking fan of this dude. Doyle and I have had a wonderful fucking chat. It was a bro-ship. Really, by the end of it, it was a bro-down, and I loved every second. In-depth, exciting, intriguing, but overall, a wicked fucking time. That chat with Doyle is coming up now. So everyone gets the same start-off question. And basically, do you remember as a kid becoming obsessed with a musician or an artist? And it doesn't have to be heavy. You know, a lot of people reference, you know, maybe Slipknot or Korn or something. But, you know, my reference point as five years old, I was the biggest Aerosmith fan. I don't know why. But Aerosmith was my jam, and because of Aerosmith, I knew music existed. Was there a band like that for you? You know, it's funny. Um, this just came up because I was doing karaoke last night uh, with some friends. <laughs> but um, the first tape I was ever handed was Elton John's Greatest Hits. Mm. And okay. and I've always, ever since then, I've always loved Elton John. been a huge Elton John fan, and I actually saw him at Staples Center, me and my wife went when she was pregnant with our son. And it was, I couldn't talk for like three days afterwards because just every song just screaming all the words. That man is, is one of the greatest to ever do it, you know? Was, so were um, you given that, that by a family member or was it just something you stumbled Yeah, my, my aunt gave it to me. Hmm. She gave me that... Um, some I, I can't remember what else she ended up giving me. I think Hanson, Mbop, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. classic, uh, the boy band era, and then 
as far as heavy, like if I were to go heavier bands, the first heavy, you know, music I was handed was Metallica's Black Album on CD. Mm. And that was from my dad because he liked Metallica. And we also listened to a ton of like Pearl Jam and, and Soundgarden, you know, shit like that, um, being that it was the early 90s. But I, that's a, a band that I still obviously still listen to in Metallica. So it, that's probably the first one I was like, oh, shit, you know, like <laughs> heavy music. So I mean, um, if you're if you're getting shown Metallica by your dad, is there a sense of you know some people might connect with this that okay this must be cool and acceptable or was it a case of you know you need to listen to this Doyle give it a go? I don't know because like I you know he was definitely we listened to a lot of music when I was a lot younger, mm-hmm. but I never necessarily like my dad wasn't didn't play music he wasn't in bands or anything like that and so I guess I didn't I didn't listen to it because he said hey listen to this I just listened to it because he gave me a cd and this is before the era of digital music and I'm gonna throw it on and I'm like fuck this is awesome you know (laughs) so that's how we landed there (laughs) what about you know where I mean I'm nearly 40, so I do remember the days, yes, kids, there were days when there wasn't digital uh, avenues. So what what happens to you after you get Metallica? Do you start kind of deep diving or are you still at that stage of kind of reliant on people giving you music? There was um, like a used CD store called CDs Plus that was in the town over from the town that I grew up in. And I would go there a lot to get just to kind of rifle through what they had and buy shit up, you know? Um, it's funny too, because uh, you could put your name on there for like for them to call you if certain CDs came in. And <laughs> apparently at some point I'd put my name down for any kill switch engage that they had that came in. <laughs> so for like six years they would call me anytime they got a kill switch engaged cd in. i was like you don't have to keep calling me i've gotten them all it's good um but all, honestly through friends too you know um like my one of my really good friends growing up his dad was in a rage against the machine like cover band and they would play it at, at like a bar venue downtown and so like got really into Rage Against the Machine at a young age too. And that, like his his dad was like, a, you know, he was like a cool dad. He played like in a band and, you know, his parents were always pretty youthful and had, you know, kind of their own their own thing going on, you know, kind of walked their own path. So I, I think I just found music the same way that everyone else does. And the radio obviously was huge then, when I think way, way more so then than now. But there's bands that I listened to in the 90s on the radio that I still listen to. And one of my favorite bands of all time is Foo Fighters. And they were, you know, on the radio in the 90s and still pump that shit out. You know, I saw them just a couple of years ago and it was fucking awesome. Dave Grohl's like incredible musician, obviously. Uh, I do remember those times of leaving a list or a name at a CD store. I also remember the time where you could listen to the album uh, when you went into the CD store. I mean, was that something you took advantage of? This was definitely one of those spots. Yeah. Mm. 
hundred percent. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird, uh, relic, mm. you know, because I don't, I don't know that like CD stores exist so much anymore. I mean, I think it's more like combined where it's like all of your used shit, you know, books and CDs and movies and, you know, DVD players where you could like maybe source through it, but like to have a music store that's strictly could be named CD plus in 2021 seems like completely unfathomable, (laughs) you know? And that's, I think that that's a good thing and a bad thing, Mm. you know, like I feel very, I look back at those times very fondly in the bands that I found through that or through going to shows at like local venues and, you know, seeing bands growing up that would get me hooked on other bands. You know, I feel like now everything's so accessible, which is great because when you live in a small area and bands don't come through all the time, it gives you a greater access to what's out there. But on the other side, I feel like it can um, maybe deteriorate your appreciation for it a little bit because it is so accessible. You know, it's like reaching in the fridge and yeah. just pulling out a drink, you know, than like having to go out and I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I've said it to a few guests, you know, I I do wonder how people, you know, I understand how they connect nowadays to music. You know, there's always going to be a connection, emotive, um, anything like that. But I remember the feeling of like, I'd save up all that pocket money that I'd earned from mowing the lawns to get that one CD and I'd put it on. And I remember a few bands in particular, I'd put it on. And I'm like, fuck, I hate this, but I'm committed now. <laughs> I have to like this and I'll play it again in a couple of weeks. Nope. Still don't like it. Three months later, that album's my favorite fucking album. Like it's weird. <laughs> we don't have that now. No, I mean, you don't like it. That's the last time you'll probably ever listen to it. There's it, such an enormous amount of access now that it's like, why would you re- revisit it unless somebody begs you to, you know? It is. It's strange. But, you know, you mentioned in there about you like you kind of wanted Kill Switch, but I don't want to go down a Kill Switch avenue. What I want to ask is, you know, not everyone gets into music that has aggressiveness to it, whether it's musical or it's the vocals. So, what do you think drew you into a music style that was so aggressive and abrasive and in your face? It was purely, I grew up in a small town in Iowa um, and the music scene there was crazy. I mean, for, for how many people live there, the, the shows, the, the creativity that came out of that area is like pretty unbelievable. And I feel very lucky for that, but I, um, I sort of stumbled into it on accident, like my love for it, because I there was a sort of like a garage house venue that was right in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And I was walking my dogs like one night up past it. I think I was in like seventh or eighth grade and there was a show going on at this garage. And I saw a couple of friends from school there and was kind of like, yo, what's the deal? You know, and so I ran home and took my dogs home and then came back up and went into this garage where these bands were playing. And it was pure chaos. There was like mattresses lining the walls, but now they were all over the floor and kids were swinging from rafters and there's like a heavy, you know, band playing and, and kids are just, it's like basically like a pro wrestling match. Kids are like <laughs> suplexing each other onto these, like, there's probably like, I don't know, 10, 15 mattresses just strewn about this garage 
And so I, I got it, like my really, my, my true love for it, I got from the live setting because I really saw that before I had seen, uh, or before I really dived into what I would consider like hardcore or metal in, in the sense that I appreciate it now, you know, not, not mainstream heavy artists, but like, you know, not the Metallicas, but like the actual like hardcore and metal artists that I come to appreciate today. You know, I still listen to some of the bands that I saw in that garage. They weren't all just local bands. There was a lot of really fucking awesome bands that played um, that garage. And, and uh, yeah, so I, I, that, that's kind of where my appreciation came from, truly. I mean, I've always been a big fan of music and, you know, some people it's it's background noise to some people and, and i've met people that just don't care at all mm. about music they just they would you know if they're in the car they're going to put on um you know talk show or or you know whatever and that's always blown my mind because to me it's like it's not background it's it's theme music you know as you're going through your life it's what's narrating what's happening around you you know and um so i, I would say like my current love for it really just came from seeing it because it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, you know, and you go to a show and then the next day you see the kids at school that you saw the night before, you know, at the punk show. And it's like sort of this, you know, acknowledgement of you're, you're like a part of this subculture all of a sudden. And, you know, you it's almost like, you know, a, a secret or something that mm. nobody else really knows, you know, and I, something about that that it was kind of romantic you know like there's something about that that's really special and uh, i think i've kind of always carried that since that time yeah i think you know it's important you know the live setting as you said you know some people they stumble across it first some people some people it is what makes them love the music after first getting into it but you also mentioned an important thing in there that i think a lot of people get into music or this style of music is because of the sense of community and the sense of belonging which heavy music gives them. You know, this Iowa live scene, everyone listening, as soon as they hear Iowa, they think Slipknot. I mean, it's a guarantee. Naturally. Um, it's, <laughs> it's very natural. But you're mentioning a very exciting, vibrant Iowa scene at this time. So, you know, what what kind of bands were going around at this stage and were there, were there bands that were getting out of Iowa or were they just Iowa-based? No. So, I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind, just talking about the, the garage and, you know, I referenced them a, a couple times through this whole process, but the band Modern Life is War mm. is from Marshalltown, which is like an hour away. And they wrote a song about that garage called First and Ellen, because that's the street corner hey. that, that it was on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I grew up watching that band play. As I got older, I got to be friends with those dudes. But when you're from the Midwest and a band gets out, you know, like you're, in, you're from a small area or a state that, you know, doesn't have sort of the, the craziness that your LA scene or your Philly scene or your New York scene has. When a band gets out, they're like the band, you know, they they did it. They got out and toured and Modern Life is War was that band. You know, they were the band from Iowa that everyone all around the country and around the world got to know and, and love and appreciate. And the things that they sang about when you're from not just a place like Iowa, but any smaller area, you feel that, you know, and you connect with that. And so their shows in Iowa were crazy always, you know, um, from the first time I saw them to 
you know, the final show that they'd played when they broke up that first time, you know, in Marshalltown. Um, and, and every show I've seen them since, you know, I've seen them several times since they put out, started putting out new music and, um, you know, it's always great. And so I think that's, that's something that you get from those smaller scenes is when bands emerge from there, there's a real appreciation for what they're doing and how they're doing it because they've worked super hard to, to get out there. You know, they didn't know a bunch of people. They're just like a bunch of ragtag punk kids from the middle of nowhere that said, fuck it, I'm going to go do it. And they went and did it, you know? And um, I think that's really cool. I think it's also cool that, you know, some people listening are from small areas wherever it is around the world and they can kind of connect with that feeling of the connection you grow for a local band. But obviously opportunities were there for kids who wanted to play music. So at any stage in your early development during high school, you know, you're developing this passion and this love for music. Are you looking around going, maybe I want to do more than listen to music? Absolutely. I, I, I started booking shows before I could even drive. Um, the, the very first show that I, um, the very first show that I ever booked was at a basement venue, like a house venue called the switch. And I couldn't drive. So my grandma dropped me off and I was booking a band that I'd found on pure volume from Eau Claire, Wisconsin called regret. Um, that they were fucking awesome. I mean, it, it still holds up. It, it was, uh, the, the dudes that were in that band were from other bands and went on to be in other bands. It was Sean from Holding On, Matt Keel that went to go play bass for Comeback Kid. He sang for this band. But I booked them at the Switch and it was the first show I'd ever booked. And, you know, then it's paper flyers everywhere, you know, and, and um, so the schools were just littered with flyers for this, <laughs> this house show and I remember getting dropped off at the show and I'm certain and the band was like outside waiting and they're like did this kid that just get dropped <laughs> off by his grandma he's the one doing this show <laughs> like what the fuck did we get into but it was awesome I mean we had probably 100 150 kids show up like it was a good, it was a pretty solid show and in a basement you know so it's like it feels like 10,000 people mm. um and that's when it started and it never stopped. I mean, I, I booked shows constantly. I was in bands, toured myself, you know, like right out of high school. And in really honestly, even a little bit before we were like doing the weekend warrior thing, you know, where we're rolling back into town at 7am on a Monday and I've got class at eight, you know, my, especially my like final semester of high school. And then that summer, the summer after I graduated, we hit the road and just started touring kind of relentlessly. And um, so it, it, it became not just uh, something I was passionate about, but really my entire identity and, and everything that I cared about ended up being completely, um, you know, sort of circled by this, this love of music, you know, and it, and it was booking shows, it was trading shows, it was playing out you know touring and um yeah you know and I'm one of the lucky ones because I've been able to assimilate that into my adult life you know I mean I I get to still be in bands and and I print merch you know full that's my full-time job for bands that I grew up loving you know the Rancids and Social D's and 
you know shit like that and so it's it's cool you know it's never stopped and it and it shaped everything that has happened to me up to this current point you know how did you you know it's quite an exciting and interesting thing to to book shows no matter what your age um you know i've done it it's not easy but why did you think at such a young age you know what I want to fucking book shows. And did you have any idea what you were getting yourself into? Because it's not fucking easy. You know, you know, there was the older dudes in the scene at that time were very helpful. Like mm-hmm. they, they wanted, they knew that they weren't going to do it forever. And they, they were the type, the types of dudes that were trying to sort of encourage that next wave. Cause they knew that that's, that's what keeps the scene alive. You know, you can't hold on to it forever. And so they would, take people kind of under their wing and be like, this is how you properly book a show or do you need help or whatever, you know? And there, there was a lot of that kind of love in that scene. And, you know, some of it was just, fuck, I like this band. I want them to come play here, you yeah. know? Like, who who cares? I know kids will show up because that's, you know, that's, it's such a special thing when bands are willing to come to an area like that, that everyone shows up, you know? Like, what else are you going to do? you know that's it there's a show you're going to be there and so um there wasn't like the risk of all these competing shows and you know three shows in one market like you're the only show for 150 miles you know (laughs) like if people want to catch a heavy band like you're the only place they can go you know um obviously i didn't fully comprehend what it was but it I think that was good too, because it, it is really at its core. It's simple. You know, you book the band, you promote the show, you pay the band and that's it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. I think if, you know, there is anyone listening to this that is in a small area and feels that demand, like just go for it. You know, like all you have to do, just get a somewhat working PA and find a place to throw some fucking shows. And, and it is as simple as that. Just, book the bands, work your ass off for the show, promote it, flyer it, fucking, I mean, burn out demos of the band or, or, you know, samplers or whatever, like whatever you have to do, you know, and now obviously it's the age of the internet. So Instagram, all that shit, obviously is super important, but, you know, I think people overcomplicate it and, you know, it, it was, I loved doing it. It was something that I was excited about, you know, and, and um, I, I do a, festival once a year now and that's about as as much as i can i can wrap my head around these days but um i love doing it and it gave me a huge appreciation for touring and the bands that were out there kind of grinding it out you know so why did you know why did you stop um is the first part of this question why did you stop booking shows and then what made you want to start this festival um, that you now do and what is it and tell us a bit more about it. So that was a, that's a pretty, uh, there was a big leap of time mm-hmm. there. So I, I was booking shows into probably um, maybe like 2010, 2011, pretty consistently. And then I switched to booking tours for mm-hmm. bands and was was working at a booking agency and booking you know tours for hardcore bands basically around the country and so that became kind of more my primary focus um i moved to seattle to kind of be closer to that uh you know 
you want to be around, you want to be in a music scene in an area where the tours are actually coming through. So you're actually able to like be a part of that process instead of in some like remote area where you're not seeing any of that. And I needed a change of pace because I was working, I was doing another job, like job at the time, career or whatever that I absolutely fucking hated and was kind of a, a drain on my mental. And so I moved to Seattle and lived there for a year, kept booking shows. I was um, working at a print shop that was out of the house that we all lived in part-time, just kind of like cleaning screens and, and shit to make extra cash. And then a year into that, I bought out, um, I bought out the shop from my current business partner, um, from his old partner. And we moved it down to California. And, uh, you know, a couple of years into it, my buddy Nate, who sings for uh, Zabalba, he had been doing this fest called For the Children for a couple of years and was kind of at that point where he, it's a little bit too big for one person to manage. And, you know, it does take a lot of time. And it's definitely one of those things that's easier with all hands in because it's a nonprofit festival. So it's, you know, it's not like you can, you, you can't necessarily justify the time from a monetary standpoint because all the money is going back to, you know, back to the kids. So basically it's, you know, it's a charity festival that everyone brings toys as part of the, uh, you know, the entry to the fest and the bands that play, they all play reduced rates free, you know, as kind of bare minimum cost as possible so that all the money that's left and, and we don't charge much for the fest either. That's kind of always been part of the ethos. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not a very expensive fest to go to, but all the money that's left over we use. So we get all the toy donations, but then the money that's left over, we also use to supplement some of those toy purchases for like infants and, you know, teenagers, because a lot of toys that get brought are kind of one um, age category. I mean, most of them are like Barbies and action figures and, and stuff like that. That's for a specific age range. So we use the leftover funds to kind of supplement needs in other areas and also for like motel vouchers for extreme circumstances, stuff like that. Um, so I came on with Nate doing that probably like five or six years ago. And we've been doing it together ever since along with a couple other friends. Um, you know, we weren't able to do it last year, obviously, because of COVID, but we are working on it for this year right now. And, you know, kind of excited to have that back. <laughs> Dude, so like, it's gotta just, you know, commend you for, for that. You know, it's, um, as someone who, you know, listeners sometimes know, sometimes don't know, I work in the disability sector and, you know, there are certain avenues, which is things like children who have a gaping hole that sometimes needs to be filled and something as simple as it sounds as toys, um, giving them that light that you are and putting your time and effort to help children in that way, um, you need to commend yourself, dude, because it's also not easy to do running running that kind of stuff. You know, the I hear, you know, obviously that we get that a lot, mm. but I know I speak for Nate and, and uh, Xavier as well you know, from, from Vamakara, he does it with us. And I know I speak for both of them that I, I feel like we all get more out of it than even mm -hmm. the kids do, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it is very important for 
not only just for the kids, but for their parents. You know, these are people that have, that bust their ass and, and sometimes still can't make ends meet, but they do anything mm-hmm. for their kids. You know, they would do anything to put a smile on their face. And the holidays are, it's such an important family time, you know, um, a time to sort of look back on the year and appreciate what you have and appreciate who you're with. But sometimes they just need that little extra support, you know, and these people will stand in line for however long it takes to, to get that little bit of support. And they're so grateful too, you know? So for us, it's so beautiful to, you know, for the families and kids, it's a little snapshot, but for us, we get to see thousands of, of, you know, people come through, you know, as we're distributing the toys and and we get to meet all these incredible families and, and people that, you know, just, they care a lot and they're struggling. And, and especially right now, I mean, even pre COVID, it was getting more difficult, but now it is so difficult for some of, you know, some people to make ends meet because there's so much sort of economic loss mm-hmm. from all of this pandemic, you know, that the people need it now more than ever. And and I feel really fortunate that we have an avenue to bring that, be able to sort of help soften the blow of that over the holidays for some of these folks, because, you know, it's it's the highlight of my year every single year. And, and I know that it, you know, Nate and Xavier feel the exact same way. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I appreciate the kind words, but for us, it's like, we get so much out of it, you know, and, and, uh, so many of our friends get behind it and, and get involved and that it's really cool to see. Yeah. Last thing on that, just fuck yeah. Like, um, you know, simple, um, love it, man. Um, now two things, you mentioned earlier the first one i want to talk about is obviously overcast merch which you're you know is the company you're talking about when it comes to merchandise and you know tell us about your day-to-day like how hectic is it running merch because <laughs> um it's got to be fucking hectic it is and it's you know it's new challenges all the time mm-hmm. you know as a as a it's funny because when you look back on the challenges 10 years ago, it just looks so different than it does now. You know, I mean, 10 years ago, we were doing this out of a house and, you know, now we have, you know, multiple warehouses and a lot of employees. And, you know, when it used to just be three of us, you know, stripped down to our boxers and 105 degree, you know, <laughs> basement, just <laughs> trying to make it work on one, one little press. And, you know, now there's all these autos and embroidery and just all these moving parts, you know, and, and, um it is busy it's busy and it's hectic and i think anyone that works in that industry would tell you the same thing especially now you know there's a huge supply chain disruption the garment industry is in a pretty weird place and you know just something as simple and routine as it used to be sourcing blanks it's like quite the struggle and probably going to get way worse over the next six months but um you know, I feel really fortunate and lucky that we made it through kind of all the craziness of the last year. And, you know, it wasn't without some redirection and, and, you know, pivoting on our heels a little bit sometimes, but, you know, I feel super grateful for everyone that's kind of been a part of keeping that afloat. And, um, it is hectic though, you know, the day to day, it, it used to be much simpler, you know, and now it's more, like, I, you know, I rarely print, if ever, you know, um, where it used to be, you know, me and Bailey and, and you know, um, 
Sean actually that that plays bass in Foreign Pain he used to work there too and it used to just be us three doing everything you know and um you know now Sean's he, he's doing that he works in the in the film industry and you know does directing and and shit like that but it's it's I don't know it's funny it's one of those things that's kind of like a kid where you look back on it and you're like wow you know things are so you've grown up so much it's crazy you know do you do you, you know cool. you must as you said you you're printing merch for probably every aspect that people could think of and probably brands as well like you know uh, this kind of stuff but you know it'd be interesting to know does anything come across the desk that you see that is being printed or made and you go do people actually buy that shit like does does anything cross absolutely i i i can't think of anything glaringly like out front right now and i probably wouldn't name it even if i could just yeah yeah. but um there's definitely some stuff that I'm just like, who in the fuck would wear this? <laughs> but they, I mean, I don't know. And I, I know now that I am thinking of a few examples, their shirts that get reprinted. So obviously, I'm totally wrong, and people do are buying that and wearing it. So what do I know? You know. Um, but yes, absolutely, <laughs> without yeah. question. I also think the interesting thing is you've probably seen, you know, over your time doing merch, you've seen that. You know, anyone listening knows that band merch in particular went from being very, you know, one-dimensional to now a lot of the merch that's being made by bands is kind of in a in a way streetwear in, in some aspects. Like that's interesting as well, seeing you're seeing the an evolution and a growth inside this kind of stuff. You know, it's funny because um, there are trends in in hardcore merchandise like there is anywhere else you know and i remember a time when you know giant collar to to bottom prints gold foil you know was like the thing and and now it's a little bit more minimalistic and smaller imprints more subtle uh as a printer you know i and someone that puts this kind of stuff out i appreciate the minimalist um element of it now i think uh as opposed to the you know giant oversized one million color prints (laughs) um but it is interesting to see how it not only how it evolves but how how it circles back around Mm -hmm. also like like all you know kind of all fashion trends it's very cyclical And, and Hardcore is no exception to that, you know, 100%. No, I mean, hardcore had the big print. We had the obnoxious deathcore neon stuff for a long time. Um, yeah, they all go through their phases, but I think that's exciting <laughs> that, that you're you're in there. Now, um, you mentioned earlier early bands, so I'm assuming you were a vocalist during this period. Is that right? Yeah. So, So how did you decide... To be a vocalist was it was it kind of a thing of like well I'm not not really good in instruments so kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna be a vocalist. It was that mm-hmm. actually. Um, I played guitar when I was younger, but I got I got frustrated with it. I feel like a lot of people have this story when they like take guitar lessons mm-hmm. and they want to come in and hand you know like total ripper songs to their teacher and be like teach me how to play this and they're like no that's not you know you're you're gonna learn like basic chords and 
and you know you, you need to start with the foundations but as a kid with a short attention span that gets boring pretty fucking fast um i still play like casually at home but i've never i played bass in a couple like for fun bands um you know in like um the late 2000s ish but i kind of always just ended up being the vocalist um i it's kind of funny that it ended up that way because you know I, gr- I grew out of it but when i was younger and and touring really in my first like active touring band i had an enormous amount of social anxiety you know i, I felt that it was hard to be in front of people um in general, like I always felt a little weird, you know, like I felt like a kind of like an outs, outsider-ish, you know, like if I was at a party, I'd feel uncomfortable and, and whatever. And so you would think that that person would end up playing something that's a little bit more tucked away, mm. you know. Um, but when I was playing, actually in the process of playing, all that went away, you know, like sometimes seconds before i'd be like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck here we go you know what i mean but then once it's going it's like okay it's like being at home you know you're just like we're in the groove and you know people are responding and and kids are you know moshing or singing along or whatever and they're feeding that energy back into you and so all of that anxiety all of that um you know social awkwardness or weirdness it just kind of dissipates and and you become someone that you weren't 10 minutes before you started, you know? And I think maybe that's why I got a little bit addicted to that feeling, you know, to being a front man, because, you know, for that 15 minute set or whatever, I was just in a, I was in a, I didn't feel weird. I didn't feel out of place. I was like, nope, this is where I belong. Like right here with these sweaty, disgusting punk hardcore kids singing songs and and making memories you know and and i think that uh, i think that's probably why it just kept happening that way you know um I, I, that's really the only justification i could come up with that's truthfully. a good justification works works and you know an interesting thing in the timeline that i'm that i'm also picked up is that you know you did the road warrior thing. You played in a few bands here and there, sometimes with instruments, sometimes um, vocals. And then obviously things stopped. And then now everyone knows, well, everyone listening is gathering, you know, you're the vocalist in foreign pain. So there's quite a chunk of time when you're not doing music. So during this time, has music become something of, a back piece in your life you know it's still important but performing it it just isn't perform important um not i mean yes and no it wasn't you know before this gap of time it was the central piece to everything i was doing so in that regard yes but the things that i was doing you know leading up to us getting foreign pain going we're all music based just from the other end of it, you know? So I was booking tours and doing the merge company and, you know, we tried to get a couple bands going here and there where we jam on some stuff, but I don't think it was anything that anyone was like super serious about. And, and we kind of just did it for fun to blow off steam. And so it never really stuck, you know, cause no one was really like super committed to making it happen. And 
And so it, it definitely was like a different, not as not as prevalent, not as like front and center as it used to be, you know. And you know, when we started foreign pain, it started kind of in a similar way of like it's just an excuse for us to hang out, you know, more than anything because we all like enjoy being around each other and like we like what we write and we're having a good time doing it. But as things progressed, you know, through the process of making this record. I think everyone got a lot more serious about what it was, you know, because they were like, oh, like, I think it was one of those, like, <laughs> kind of one of those things where no one wanted to be like too, too like, oh yeah, let's go do it and not get that same response back from anybody. Mm. Um, but as we kind of just grew through the process of, of writing this record, I think that everyone got more on the same page of, you know, obviously we have, careers and families you know Aaron and I both have both have kids and um you know I have the shop which is uh, a whole other family you know that kind of keeps me bound a little bit but you know I think we got the sense of like okay you know while this band may not be the band that can tour eight months a year we're certainly going to tour and and go you know go out and do runs here and there um, you know, regionally and, you know, we're already in talks of, of doing Mexico in June, next June, you know, COVID pending, of course. I know we definitely want to get down your direction. We mm-hmm. want to, you know, we want to travel and tour and, and still do all of the things that, that we feel that we should do, you know, to, to sort of push the record and, and um, I guess, reward ourselves you know because touring is sort of like the actualization of of the writing process and and everyone's got their favorite piece but i love playing shows and i I am excited to go out and play on this record and i know that that's very much the intention of where kind of we're all at now you know um but there was a you know there was a big gap there for sure i also think you know something's interesting about foreign pain is i love that you know, as I think anyone listening who has been in a band or is thinking about being a band, it was just mates, an excuse to hang out. And that started around 2015, 2016. And then 2021, you're finally fucking releasing, you know, yeah. As Aaron, as Aaron told me, there was the demo or three track demo, but long winded way of time spent to actually getting an album out so clearly you guys like hanging out too much really i think that's definitely a problem for starters <laughs> um, maybe we thought okay well when the record comes out we just won't play together anymore <laughs> no i you know there was a lot of reasons that the record took as long as it did for one it changed from an ep into a full length in the middle of it because you know for me because of that gap in time i had a lot of dusting off to do in terms of, of vocals you know getting the vocal sound that I wanted, sure, but also the writing process, you know, of getting the lyrics exactly the way that I wanted them and shaking off the cobwebs of that. Um, You know, the interesting thing about this record is that a lot of crazy shit happened over the last few years in in my personal life. And the band and, and, you know, the record ended up being a way for me to kind of work through that and process through some of the heavier shit that, that I was kind of 
running into, you know, over the, over the span of, of when this record was written. Um, and, you know, I don't want to let Aaron off the hook. He's a perfectionist. I mean, he's a, he's a, an excellent producer and, and passionate about what's going on, but he's also a huge asshole. And <laughs> it's no problem, no problem being in the studio and being like, hey, that sucked. Mm. You could do way better than that. Try it again. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. There were times where I was like, you know what? Fuck you, man. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know? but the end result, I, I kept reminding myself, first of all, I love Aaron. And, and I don't want anyone to take that any other way. Aaron's <laughs> one of my best friends. But, um, you know, there were times where I was needing to remind myself, trust the process. Okay, sure, we've done this way too many times and restructured it way too many ways, but it will turn out the way that it should turn out in the end if we put the elbow grease into it, you know? And um, and I am happy with where it turned out. And I there was things that I was at certain levels of frustration willing to settle on that Aaron would not allow me to settle on and i'm glad that he was kind of hovering and pushing that you know because it i am happy with where it turned out both both on the delivery end and and the lyrical end you know and i don't think it would have been the same record without the time invested and and beating it up over and over again you know i think it's been worth it you know um this comes out just after the album has been out for a couple of days but, you know, I've been lucky enough to have consumed the fuck out of it. And, you know, just based off the singles, if we talk about them on themselves, you know, On Failure, on failure Neil and South of Me, which I saw the music video as well, um, there's a lot of diversity going on, not only in your lyrical content, but your vocal delivery and the music going on. So I can see why you were being pushed so much because, you know, you can loosely call this hardcore, but I think that's not really doing it justice. It's kind of, it's very diverse. It's very, makes you think, makes you get into the song. Like, especially like a track like South of Me, you know, when that, when that starts, it went down a path I didn't expect, but I loved it. Yeah. I, I think when we were writing it, we, you know, part of it is that we didn't want to be afraid to, to be a little weird with it mm-hmm. and take chances on it. And, I, you know, I don't think it fits necessarily a straight up hardcore label. I don't really know who the record's for, you know, and it wasn't written with an intention of being delivered to any like one group of kids. You know, it wasn't like, oh, let's write a metalcore record or let's write a metal thrash record or let's write a hardcore record. It was just like, let's just write some heavy music that we like and enjoy and want to play and see what kind of comes up, you know, what, what comes of it. And um, I wouldn't call the record, it's certainly not like a single lane record. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different weird, there's so many different kind of weird parts to it that I think if you, I think if you go in with a certain expectation of what it is, even off, even if you listen to one of the singles on the record and you were like, okay, the record's going to sound like this. I think that you might, if not be, you know, hopefully not let down, but, you know, I think you would be a little thrown off if you were expecting it to be a one, one track for 10 tracks, because it's, it's not that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, 
range and, and dynamic on the record that was very intentional. You know, we wanted there to be highs. We wanted there to be lows. We didn't want the record to stop. We wanted it to be fast and aggressive, but also slow it, slow it down on some, some certain areas to make the fast parts and the heavy parts fast and heavy, you know? And I think that, that even on the track assembly, like how the record flows, you know, one into another, even that was super intentional and, and not an accident. We didn't want the record to take a breath. We wanted it to be start to finish. You get to the end and you're like, oh, fuck, like we're already at the end, you know? Yeah, and I think an important thing that you mentioned at the start of what you were saying is that, you know, it was it was not written for an audience in mind. It was written for yourselves kind of thing. You know, I think sometimes as an old bastard that I am, I can sense when I listen to an album when it's not organic, it's not written for the people that have made the music, it's written for someone ex- expected to enjoy the music. And I can hear the honesty in this music and I like that it's not one lane. I mean, yes, there are bands that I like the one lane music from, but not all the time. I like also having music that is, you know, all over the shop. Um, One thing about this album that is also what makes it so intriguing and for me as a hardcore fan got me into it is the lyrics are very personal, very important, um, clearly for you, a very important part you know you mentioned earlier about kind of a lot went on but for you this must feel like a very important piece to release because of the vent that you've put into this yeah i think it, it i think that's where a lot of you know my pre-album jitters are right now is you know and we're releasing these videos starting mm-hmm. t- tomorrow you know the ramp up to the record coming out um that deep dive a couple of the more brutal personal songs on the album you know when i when we sat in the room to record the audio for those videos i was really nervous for Mm -hmm. starters because i knew that tearing some of this stuff up was going to be pretty fucking uncomfortable and and you can hear it if you listen to it you know if someone's listening to this and they go back and watch those videos, they'll hear my voice crack. You know, Mm -hmm. they'll hear me fall apart during certain parts of it. And I'm hoping it's not like overwhelming if you're listening to it without that context. But the shit that happened, you know, in this um, process was very, you know, it, it was tough to sort through. And a lot of what the lyrics are, I mean, sort of picking up the pieces of, of these events and trying to make sense of them, you know, within the context of, of my life and, and how do I move forward from this, you know? And I think the, the positive that comes out of that when, when you're writing in that style and writing for those, you know, for yourself in that sense is that other people that are going through that same shit, hear it and connect with it. Because I don't know anyone whose life hasn't been, you know, affected by, by addiction and, and suicide and, and depression and anxiety and death. And, you know, I, I think it's important that we remember that. And that's, that's kind of the beauty of the community, right? That, that there is, 
this sort of raw aggression and, and, you know, the music's heavy and, and whatever, but the reality is the people behind that music are, are going through the exact same shit that you're going through as a listener. And I personally, when I listen to records that speak to that, it gives me um, a sense of relief. You know, it kind of takes me out of the isolation that some of those events can put you in and makes you feel seen and heard and, and understood, you know, knowing that you're not the only one on earth that's going through some of this shit is very comforting or, it, you know, it is for me. And, you know, my big hope from a lyrical standpoint is that someone's reading through the sheet and they're like, yes, like this speaks to, you know, where I'm at and what I'm feeling. And, you know, if it grants them even a second of, of reprieve, you know, mission accomplished for me. I think those videos that you'd mentioned also that, you know, people have been able to consume, you know, first thing, really exciting use of video and context for listeners before they get the album. I think that's without a doubt, you know, I thought it was me, made me choke up a bit. Um, so if anyone listening hasn't seen the video, go and watch that one. You know, I think that was a very important message um, that you were kind of conveying and letting people know. But the one for me that kind of really hit home was Holy Order, that one. You know, um, as someone who can understand the background of the kind of, you know, I use the quotation marks, hope of religion, um, you know, it, I think these are great is what I'm basically saying. These videos, it's, I could see it. I could see and understand it wouldn't have been easy. Um, I could hear you choking up in the end of, I thought it was me. Uh, but I just got to say, thank you for making yourself vulnerable uh, for those. Thank you for making yourself open because someone like me can connect with it. And if I can connect with it, I think everyone in some shape or form can connect with it. Um, I loved it. Thank you. I, I mean, like I said, it was really uncomfortable mm. <laughs> to do, but I think that's a, I think that's a sign that we hit something real there. You know, um, we had to stop and be, that was not a straight through take for all three of those together. I mean, we had to stop between each explanation and I had to go get some fucking air, you mm. know, because I was, I was not doing, especially for, I thought it was me and, and blood oath, both of those were very personal songs very personal topics um you know at the end of blood oath i talk about my son mm -hmm. you know and that little dude he, you know he's he straight up saved my life you know in in what was a very uh difficult time me and my wife finding out that we were gonna have a kid it like it totally just it, it changed everything you know, and we, I talk about that in that video. And so for both of those, you know, I'm not talking about the same person in those videos. And, um, and that's part of kind of what, what lent to a lot of the topics on the record is, is there was multiple, you know, sort of um, concurrent situations that were happening that's around similar, very similar topics. And um, yeah, I thought it was important you know, as did the rest of the dudes to do a lyric, sort of a lyric explanation because it was such a person, you know, they were such personal topics, but we didn't want to like just plant me in it, like, 
you know, in front of the camera seated and just me kind of just talk at the camera. I wouldn't have felt comfortable in that scenario anyways. I mean, recording the audio was hard enough. Having people be able to see me Mm. during it, it's just, there's just no fucking way I ever would have agreed to that. But we wanted to do something that, because the topic is kind of heavy, we wanted to do some, you know, some, I guess, visual element that it's not super narrative driven, you know, like it was just kind of me, my, my most therapeutic time is on my motorcycle. I mean, because you don't have any distractions, there's no music, it's just you and the road. And so that was an element that we wanted to work in because it's honestly, it's pretty organically like the place that I do the most thinking, you know? And, um, I don't, I don't know. We, Sean directed everything, Sean, the, the place based for foreign pain. And I think he knocked it out of the park. You know, he directed it, edited it, shot it. Um, I mean, you know, it's what he does for a living, but I, I watched them back specifically the one, you know, the blood oath and it, it fucked me up. Like just even watching it. And, you know, when my son comes on screen, it's just like, and he loves, my son loves watching it. He can't get enough of seeing himself on TV. He thinks this is the coolest <laughs> shit ever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I really appreciate that because, you know, it was a very conscious decision to put them out before the record, before the lyrics. Those are n- <clears throat> not one of those songs are singles. You know, they're all, all three of them are not singles on the record. And um, we wanted to put it out before there was even lyrics available so that people if they connected with the message of what that song was or, or wanted to almost like the reverse of it, you know, like it draws them into wanting to read the lyrics because they're like, fuck, this is something I feel and hear and connect with. And um, so it, it was a really conscious decision to do that. And I know it seems weird to kind of put it out before the record, almost like it's done in reverse, but we wanted just an out of sort of almost like an out of context explanation of it of just being like here is some of the shit that we're going to talk about on this record if you fuck with this and you like heavy music dive into the record because and 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 open open it up read the lyrics you know because it's not just a bunch of random artistic shit that we threw on a page it's you know it's stuff that that we sort of tore ourselves up to make to put down on paper you know, and, and make happen. Yeah, I think they're great, man. You know, and I like that, you know, it's not something we normally see that it comes out before the release, that it's not normally not a single, you know, I like that. I think it's great. I think it's smart. Like you said, it gives people more of an insight into what this music is going to be about. And for some people, maybe they were sitting on the fence about it and now they understand some context. They're like, fuck yes, I'm getting into this. Maybe if they're not even sure if they'll like it, they'll at least tune in and give the songs a spin. Um, and for those that already connected with the singles, they're going to connect with these. It's fucking chef's kiss, man, like beautifully done and so raw and emotive. And as someone that connects with hardcore because of that emotion that a lot of hardcore has, that honest rawness, I love it, and that's what made me connect with it. Um, also, I connect with it because I have had the same experiences. So I just love you for it, man, and thank you for thank allowing you. yourself to be like that. Um, those videos also are fucking well done, like really well shot, well he, edited. He killed Oof. it. Oof. Uh, 
I, I couldn't even, he's kind of one of those dudes that he's, he's, you know, one of my best friends on earth. We've been friends since we were kids, you know, and grew, you know, we grew up together, but he's one of those dudes that just constantly impresses me. Mm. You know, he's just so, he's so fucking talented and, and the things that he can make happen with a camera just i don't know it just blows my fucking mind <laughs> you know that it's kind of like one of the interesting things about foreign pain is is so much of we do is internal you mm-hmm. know like sean directs all of our all of our visuals our music videos you know the canvases you know um he drives the creative end you know in that regard you know visually aaron is you know the one that produces the record and like the music he wrote you know he's a riff daddy and um you know for me you know obviously the merchant is is covered you know like um daryl and 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 cena like the band wouldn't be the same if any one of these you know four other dudes were not in it because everyone just brings a different element to it like like seeing our drummer he's obnoxiously intelligent like so smart that half the things that he says to me are just so far above my understanding of (laughs) of the english language um (laughs) you know but he's he's also you know in his own sense pushed me to dive in on what the songs mean to me you know he's he's one of those guys that not aggressively, but, you know, challenges you and makes you think and explain things, you know, and, and he had a phone conversation with me when we were dropping all this info off. And he's like, I want you to break down every song for me. And he's a big, uh, obviously a big reader, a big consumer of, of classic literature and, and poetry and, and, you know, essays. And he, wanted to write you know he wanted to attribute a quote that stuck out to him for each song and so when you look on the insert of the record you'll see these quotes next to every song and these were things that we spent a very long time on the phone talking about and then he went through his what i assume is just his brain you know like a million little little uh messengers kind of sorting through the files of all the shit that he's read in his lifetime you know and um and and for Daryl, he's Daryl's like probably one of the most interesting dudes I've ever met. But he like brings this other like him and Aaron wrote like the music. They, they were the sort of the beginning of what became Foreign Pain. You know, they would riff together and they have very different styles and come from different backgrounds. And so the the fusion of what they do is kind of what makes Foreign Pain sound the way that it does. You know, um, so in that regard, like you know, I feel like everyone kind of brings their own thing to what the band is and and what makes it what it is but um visually you know going back to this the start of that visually sean he killed all those videos and and made them reflective of honestly it was what i had pictured in my mind but just way better you know in my in my mind it was it was way simpler and sean just took it to this uh amazing level for this video that you know maybe people will see and share maybe they won't but for us it was just important for us to get it out there you know yeah well um i know i speak for you know hopefully a lot of listeners we appreciate it and we see the value in it um you know it's exciting man you know 
we're talking now. It's not quite out, but when everyone's listening, it's fucking out. Death of Divinity. It's sick. Um, kind of one one or two last things I want to talk about. We were talking before I started recording um, about a lovely man who I've had on the show called Marshall uh, from the Warriors. Anyone who hasn't listened to that episode after you listen to this episode, go the fuck back and listen to that episode. Um, and you mentioned loosely that there's something to do with the Warriors with the name of the band Foreign Pain, if I heard you correctly. Give me the story. Give me the context, please. So um, Roger, that plays in the Warriors, is the man that tracked and co-produced this record. Um, he's a very, very good friend of ours. He was kind of like the sixth man to form pain. Like he helped formulate a lot of these. There's some weird shit on this record that wouldn't be there without, I mean, that's, that's Roger's thumbprint, you know, all over it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, part of, of, we tracked this record in two places. One of them was at Joe, uh, Martins from the Warriors up at his studio in the mountains, kind of uh, north of LA. And we were up there for a few days laying down what, what would have been the EP, you know, all the, all the tracks for that. And we didn't have a band, we didn't have a name for this band yet. And we had labored on it. And I think most people that start a band can tell you that naming the band is probably the worst part of being in a band. And we didn't really have anything concrete and, you know, like, Everyone talks about like deeper meanings and, you know, whatever, but what it boils down to is that, you know, um, our friend, one of our friends, Alter Egos, Larry, was up on the mountain and we made Larry name this band before we came down the mountain. That was our pact is that we would not leave the mountain until this fucking project had a name on it. And he said, you got to just name it after a warrior song. It's going to have to be foreign pain. We're like, all right, fair enough um from there uh i was on the last warriors record i was on a couple tracks you know um on monomyth and feel very fortunate for that because that record is mm -hmm. it was probably one of the best fucking records that came out that year amen like, mm -hmm. by far i think it's like one of the most interesting dynamic fucking hardcore records i've ever heard um marshall you know, uh, did us the honor of doing a part on our record as well. Uh, and Donnie Phillips did all the artwork for Death of Divinity. So it's like very, we're very like interwoven, you know? And so that's kind of the funny uh, underbelly of, of the Warriors Foreign Pain uh, relationship. They're uh, the homies for sure. What a, and they're the homies to have, man. Like, great bunch. Um, you know, and you know, hey, sexy band name that you've got, sexy band, the Warriors, <laughs> fucking all worked out, didn't it? It, it, like, it did work, yeah. yeah. We were, we were really, we were really lucky. We had a couple really great friends come on this record. Um, they weren't on, we didn't put them on for any of the singles, we wanted those to kind of just be sort of hidden gems, but. You know, Andrew from Comeback Kid mm -hmm. is on it. Um, Marshall from The Warriors, obviously. Nate from Zababa. Uh, my homie Daz from Zulu. You know, they they all contributed and put their mark on, on the record and made it, you know, really rounded it out for it to be what it is, you know. And we feel 
very lucky to to have you know friends the friends that we do that wanted to be a part of it and and got involved in it and you know it's it's fucking cool it's a it's a cool thing it's fucking epic dude because it goes back to what i said earlier way back at the start about you know the sense of community and it shines through on this release having those little link-ups with you know mates you know you haven't got them there just to fucking get exposure they're your mates and that's what you want um and that's what hardcore is to me it's a sense of community it's a sense of broship um brotherhood um and i love it man um you know last question before we look to wrap things up is you know i'm asking this and we're a couple of days out from release but what do you feel about in your gut with anticipation and nervousness with the release are you just excited to see it out or or are you yeah how do you feel i think i'm it's kind of a mixture of things i'm excited to have it finally be out you know we've been working on it for so fucking long it feels a little surreal like the last couple weeks have been it's like when you're counting up to christmas you know you're like okay okay you know 10 days nine days so it's exciting in that sense you know, I, I can't say it's not without some anxiousness just because it's so, it is so open and it's, it can feel strange to be that vulnerable with a bunch of strangers. You know, you put your art and, you know, riffs and lyrics and, and, you know, the assembly of all that shit out for public consumption. And, you know, I don't expect everyone to love it. And I'm sure some people will fucking absolutely hate it. And, you know, you, it's kind of like the the lamb goat thing, right? Like you love to get on lamb goat and like watch people tear shit apart. And for us, it was like a rite of passage, right? Like the first thing that went up on lamb goat, people were really nice. And I, I have to be honest, I was a little bummed. Like I was like, I was grateful that people were being nice, but I also was like, where is the fire that, that happened before they disabled anonymous comments? You know, like, <laughs> They had just re-enabled them right before we started announcing shit. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to get destroyed. This is a rite of passage that people go through. And the first first go around, they got better on the second one. You know, they, they tore it us a little bit better on that one. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, to be vulnerable to strangers and, and to put yourself out there. And so I think but part of me is a little bit anxious about that. But I do feel really grateful that, you know, that, that we have the team behind this record that we do, you know, good fight. Um, Carl and Rick have been a dream, you know, but we didn't, we didn't deserve to have them put this out and they did it anyways. You know, like uh, I, I had met Rick cause I used to book a lot of bands that were on good fight when I was booking tours, I had several bands on that roster. And so I got to work with those guys and get to know those guys pretty well doing that. And I sent Rick the record when we finished it, just not, not really with any intention because at that time we planned to just self-release it, but I was sending it out to friends and just being like, Hey, I don't really know who this record's for. Like, can you tell me if you like it or hate it? So I can get some sort of metric on <laughs> what, what the demo is going to be for this thing. And he hit me back to two days later and was like, Hey, what are you doing with this record? Cause we need to put this out. And I was like, that's, fucking awesome yeah let's do it you know ferret you know carl did ferret before good fight and um ferret put out some of my favorite hardcore bands of all time you know harvest and 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 martyr disembodied i mean every fucking band 
ever was on ferret at one point you know like all the like sick ass bands from the the late 90s early 2000s like they were all on that so for me it was like a legacy thing i was like this is killer you know i love this idea and they've been you know they push it like they they the the pr team that they work with too alexa jay and all those guys like they've worked their ass off to you know seed this out to the the corners the the deep corners of the internet and um i just feel really fucking lucky that we have all these incredible people on the team that are working to push this release out and get it heard you know and and that they believe in the project also and and want that you know so um jitters for sure excited for sure but just feeling very grateful that we're here now and that we're getting this out there and that you know it will get hurt by whoever that is it's you know last thing to say on it everything about it is epic and it helps that the music's good man you know you know one thing having a message but if the music sucks it sucks but this is sexy um i've said sexy a couple of times now but let's say sexy again it's sexy I like um, it. I, it yeah. It's good in your Aussie accent. It's especially dripping. It is, with, and it's with, very, with, it's very nailed said. in, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but you know, for everyone listening, you know, um, last thing I'm going to say before I, I do my last segment with Doyle is, of course, you're going to hear a track or two at the end of this chat. But do yourselves a favor if you haven't yet checked it out after my chat with Aaron, make sure you check it out. Album's called Death of Divinity. It's out fucking now. And the band is, of course, Foreign Pain, which you already fucking know that because you're listening to the podcast and it says Doyle of Foreign Pain. So you should already fucking know what the band name is. But I digress. We are not finished, Doyle. We have a little segment to do before we fucking finish. Now, it's called Pick Your Poison. And what I do is I give you a couple of options and you pick your favorite of the two. You do not need to justify your answer, but... If you feel like justifying it, platform's yours, okay? Okay, okay. I'm ready. I was born for this. All right. You going a pizza or a burger? Oh, I'm going pizza, hands yeah. down. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, I don't even need to, I definitely don't need to justify that. No. Uh, I mean, I think in the last two weeks, I've had probably like five pizzas. So that's my love too. I'm having I'm having pizza tonight, so that kind of lets you know where I'm at. Homemade too. Oh, nice. Um, chicken or beef? Neither. Um, I I'm just not a big fan of either, to be honest. Wow. So, what's your go-to? I mean, so are you vegetarian or vegan or? vegan uh vegan mostly vegan Mm -hmm. i was like hardcore vegan for um like 13 years uh i've I've recently been thinking about mixing seafood into Mm -hmm. my diet truthfully Mm -hmm. i had i went to mexico a few weeks ago and partook and i remembered how much i fucking miss seafood um i don't really care about chicken or beef particularly um or dairy or eggs, really, for that matter. Pretty much the only thing I miss is seafood, if I'm being honest. Wow. So I, I, I was vegan for six years, seven years. Yeah, six or seven myself. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. Um, I yeah. guess if I had to pick, like if, if someone, nah, if it's only, pick. you know what? I, no? no? Okay. No, no, fuck no, it then. No, we, now, all these next ones, 
now that I know they're going to be vegan geared. Okay. Well, they don't have to be. I can answer you historically too. I mean, I, I was not always vegan. That's true. Whatever you want. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Oh, man, that is tough. I guess I would say if we're talking about takeaway, mm-hmm. I would say Chinese food. Mm-hmm. But if we're going in restaurant, it's got to be Indian. Mm. Now, do you go spicy or are you like a mild? Oh, yeah. No, spicy. Nice. Spicy. For sure. Well, you, you big spice fan. But are you the person that pays for it the next morning on the toilet? <laughs> I think everyone is. But oh. I mean, if you go spicy enough, I don't think anyone's immune to that element no. of it. It doesn't. It doesn't like. It doesn't destroy me. Okay. I, I have a pretty high tolerance for it because I eat a lot of spicy food. I love spicy food, and I kind of always have loved spicy food. So. Well, you know what the English yeah. do. The English always have at the end of their curries because my wife's English. They, uh, you have to have something like ice cream or something as your dessert because the whole idea is it soothes your asshole the next day when the, the shit comes out. You know, it's funny. I just get a craving for sweet after I have something very savory like Indian food or whatever. I just, it doesn't have to be a lot, but for me, like even just like a bit of chocolate or something to kind of like, something that's very, very strongly savory, I have to go balance it off with a little sweet after. Now, um, soft taco or crunchy taco? Mm, soft. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually just in Mexico City two weeks ago. And Mexico City's probably got the best, some of the best food in the world, arguably. And it's all, you know, corn tortillas, mm-hmm. soft corn tortillas. Mm-hmm. So that's the way to go for me. Um, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? I'm a crunchy peanut butter <gasps> kind of person. I, I, I listened to you do this segment with Aaron, so I knew you were going to talk some shit. But, <laughs> you know, there's a way to spread the crunchy peanut butter in a way that it doesn't destroy the bread. Yeah, the only way is if it's um, toast. You can't when it's bread. That's not true. I just, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to have to disagree on this one, but if I could, I would go extra crunchy <gasps> just to be clear. Sacrilege. Yeah. Sacrilege. Yeah. It's, it's basically just spreading peanuts on a sandwich. Yeah. Pretty but much. I'm cool with that. So, you, yeah. okay. Look, I, I, I already love you. So you, you're fine. You, you can get away with this. Um, and no one else can. Um, coffee or tea? Uh, coffee. I do appreciate both, but coffee is part of my daily routine so i would have to i would have to say coffee a quick side note on tea is if have you seen the show ted lasso yes i love it i'm not caught up on the new season but i binged the entire first season in a pretty short amount of time and even though i appreciate tea myself i also very much appreciate jason sudeikis's take on tea yeah i, I could, think that shit's hilarious i couldn't stop laughing because I, I watched it with my wife and it was my favorite whole sequence whenever he mentioned the tea yeah. and he's like it's garbage water i'm like yes <laughs> it is it's garbage it makes, water it's, like, i get it i get why people think that so when he went on that whole that whole <laughs> piece of that was first season that mm. whole piece of that i thought was so fucking funny because <laughs> i get why people say that and so it, it was it was very funny mm. that's a good show that's a really good show great show um, would you rather have your last meal at home or out at a restaurant? Um, probably at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to cook. That's something that me and my wife do together. And 
I think that we're both pretty solid cooks. And if it was truly my last meal, I would love to just kind of sit at home with my family and enjoy that. Yeah, fuck yeah. But I do, we do like to go out. We try to go out at least once a month and go to like a fancy restaurant somewhere. New movie comes out. You're going to see it at the cinema or wait to watch it on the couch? I'm going to see it at home, but it's not because I don't love the theater. Because I do love going to movie theaters. It's just that I don't, you know, it's when you have kids, it's a little bit more difficult to get out there. But even before, I just, I'm so, I feel like I'm so busy all the time that I really value my time at home, just kind of chilling and relaxing. But honestly, I don't watch a shitload of movies. I mean, I, I, I watched Drive last night and that mm. was like probably the first movie I've watched in a while, like besides kids movies. That's probably the first adult movie I've watched in a while. You know, normally we, it's short burst, you know, so we'll just watch trash TV, you know, something, some fucking horrible TV show that we're totally hooked on, you know? Um, <laughs> but normally we're, we're waiting till it comes out and we're watching it at home. Truthfully. But unless it's a unless it's a Star Wars movie, and well, I got I'm got a you know I've got the same thing the wife and I have you know I can't remember the last movie we really watched all in one sitting so thank God for watching things at home because we probably watch it in three two to three sittings because um, mm-hmm. no movie also nowadays of any quality is under an hour and a half you know they're all like two and a half hours and I don't fucking I also fall asleep so you know that's why so. Uh, yeah, I do if I'm at home. Yeah, I won't in theaters, but no. I would if I'm at home. Yeah. Um, do you want to spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? This answer changed. I I grew up in an area with four seasons. Mm-hmm. I lived in Seattle, which is two seasons. It just rains for eight, nine months a year, and then they have the best summer on earth. Um, and here it's it's really one season. It's just sunny all the time. Um, when I moved here, I spent a shitload of time at the beach, a lot. And I, you know, it's kind of one of those things when you live, the grass is always greener. When you live somewhere, you start to, you know, underappreciate it for what it is. So now I have this sort of hunger to get back to some mountains and snow and, you know, hike and, and do all that in cold weather. But I'm sure that, you know, at some point, eventually, if I end up Moving to an area like that, I'm going to totally, like, pine for the beach. So right now my answer is snow, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it changes based on where I'm at. Um, cat or dog? Dog. Fuck no yes. No question. I've, yes. I've, met some cool ca- I've met some cool cats, but I am overwhelmingly a dog person. And I have a dog um, that sheds like a cat, but she's, like, she's, she was my first child. Um, and I grew up, uh, we always had dogs. We had cats too, but they were all, honestly, they, they were fine, but they were like, dogs are just so much more affectionate and friendly. And anyone that tells you otherwise is lying to you. Mm-hmm. Anyone that doesn't, I, I'm also surprised when anyone doesn't like a dog, right? You could prefer a cat, but if you don't like dogs, I'm really, we've got three. We're, I don't get we it. clearly like them. Like, fuck. I, I don't get how you don't like dogs. Mm-mm. Like, or people that are just like, I don't really care for animals. Like, who are you? <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? No, dogs. I, again, I've met cats 
that I really like, but I like them because they act like dogs. Mm-hmm. That's my stand. Mm-hmm. If they're a cat that acts like a dog, then I like them. But if I'm comparing them to dogs, then obviously I prefer dogs. Yeah. So your reaction that you said about, you know, people that say they don't like animals, either two times I'll have that reaction in my life. One is when it comes to people saying they don't, they don't care for animals. The other one is when people, you say, so what kind of music do you like? And they say, I don't like music. I'm like, I know. What do you, I, what do you mean so you weird. don't I like know. music? Something must tick your box. I don't mean are you obsessed. I mean, what do you like? And they're like, uh, I don't really care for anything. Uh, I know somebody like that. Yeah. And, and I just, he, yeah, it I blows my mind. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Nah, it doesn't make sense. Um, tell, tell me you like Hanson or, or Man O' War. I don't care. Just, you know, pick something. <laughs> Um, Man of War, yes. Oh yeah, Man of War. Somebody out here is listening to my show for nearly four years. Know someone from Man of War. I want someone from fucking Man of War on my show. The moment that happens, that would be sick. That's it. We finish. We, we're, every, you know, pe- final episode. People say they want Corey or they want Hetfield. Nah, I want fucking Man of War. That's that's the goal. <laughs> that's the fucking goal. Okay, so, if it, so if anyone's listening and they know, <laughs> make it happen. I, I'm a bit worried. I wonder if listeners think I'm serious or not. We can only wait and find out. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's serious. I can see it in his eyes <laughs> right now. Um, Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Fuck yes. Absolutely. Terminator 2 is one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, I saw that when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I, I think I saw Terminator. I don't know what year that came out, but I was like maybe six when I saw it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've, I've always thought Terminator is like the coolest fucking movies. They, they like, I don't know, the later movies, not as, not as much, but Terminator 2, one of the greatest. Rambo or Rocky? Um, probably Rocky. Why not? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm more on the Rocky side. James Bond or Jason Bourne? Um, I think James Bond's cooler, like overall, but I'd probably be more likely to watch a Jason Bourne movie. Is that because you love Matt Damon? I do love Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, who doesn't? I th- yeah, I mean, how could you not? But I think uh, I don't know why. Just like James Bond is like the the definition of cool, but also like there's so many fucking Bond movies that it can be overwhelming. So I mean, I guess you can make the case for Bond movies, but not to the same degree. You know what I mean? So I'm not like a huge diehard of either. You know, um, but I guess that's my weak ass answer to that question. <laughs> Hey, it's an answer. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I like it. It It counts. Um, Star Wars or Star Wars? Star Wars, obviously. I mean, I know that you were going to say Star Trek and you didn't have to. Uh, Die hard Star Wars fan. Uh, Always have been since I first saw them. I even have a Star Wars tattoo. Big fan. Um, Die hard or Die Hard 2? Fuck. Uh, okay, hang on. Side think, question. Oh, uh, Side question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes, Thank it you. is. Yep. I've, I've, yep. It absolutely is. Yep. I'm going to say Die Hard. Yeah. I don't really need to justify it. I'm just going to say Die Hard. Yeah, my, my wife hates it now. You know, we're, we're 
I've made her watch it every Christmas Eve for the last four years. She fucking hates it. <laughs> I, it's my. It's it's just has to be done. It, I don't care. Yep. It's a Christmas fucking movie. Um, it is. And if anyone says it's not, fight me in the comments. Um, <laughs> South Park or Simpsons? Um, South Park. I love both, actually. And I watched Simpsons when I was... Re- I mean, I started watching Simpsons much earlier. I, they're both fucking great. They're mm. great for different reasons. But I think... I don't know. I think I'm more South Park, probably. Now, Slayer or Pantera? Um, probably Pantera. And this is piggybacking off of Aaron's answer a little bit, but when he said it, I was nodding because of riffs. Um, but I started listening to the Slayer first. Hmm. I heard Slayer. I, I took in because a kid that I ran around with was a huge Slayer fan. So I I liked Slayer when I was really young. Still like Slayer, but I think Pantera's heavier. Terra or Madball? Uh, tough question. Probably I'm probably I love both, but I'm probably more likely to listen to Terror full album i'm probably yeah yeah i don't know why i just i love both but um that's tough that's like a side-by-side thing yeah i know but i mean i'm looking to my left here and i've got Terra and madball vinyl and i've got a madball tattoo and i've got five Terra influence tattoos so i think mine would be Terra too um but it'd be yours but it would be close and i feel the same way i Love both bands, so it's hard to choose. They're a band for me. Side note that I remember discovering, we talked about buying CDs. I bought Lowest of the Low um, based off the fact that it was a band called Terror. didn't know anything about it, bought it, didn't like it, which will shock our listeners because I'm obsessed. They know I'm obsessed. Didn't like it. Six months later, they've been my all-time favorite band ever since. Like, it's insane. Like... I do always feel a little funny when I wear terror merch on like airplanes and stuff. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like it seems like it's just three letters from being sort of a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that necessarily, but it's just something that came to mind. I get it when people see, I just have written on the back of uh, my ankle. I have returned to strength and people go, what does that mean? I go, it's a, it's a terror song. So, yeah, check that out. People look at you weird and go, <laughs> okay, yeah, no worries, mate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I have a couple tattoos that people are like, what the hell is up with that? Yeah. Like my, my, dog, my dog's named Isis. Mm-hmm. Before <laughs> the terrorist organization mm-hmm. like was named Isis, like they, they weren't referred to that yet. And I have friends who have like daughters named Isis, but my dog's name is Isis. And I have it tattooed on my arm. So I normally gravitate towards wearing long sleeves or sweatshirts if I'm on a plane. Oh, not surprised. Just because um, I don't want to send anyone into a panic. You know, they're sitting next to me and and all of a sudden they're like, fuck, you know, and now they're sweating for the whole trip thinking something <laughs> horrible is going to happen. <laughs> I'm not trying to instill that upon anybody. 
Last side note is there there is also that band I remember from the late nineties, early two thousands called Isis, and then that's that's actually what my that's what my dog's named after. Really? Because I love the I love the band Isis. Love. The, I mean, it's a pretty name, and you know, um, the mythology behind it. But I was listening to Isis the day after, or you know, it was probably a couple of days after I got my dog, and I hadn't named her yet, and I was like, Isis, that's such a pretty name, and I love this fucking band. Um, so that's yeah, that's where her name came from. And then it was funny because after the whole terrorist organization, you know, became you know when it when it became commonly referred to as ISIS, the band ISIS on their like Facebook page had like a bunch of like random people being like "fuck you," like America, you know. And I'm like, dude, I think they had to change it to ISIS the band. And then like. You know, I, I don't know what really happened after that, but I just remember that being a thing at the time that everyone thought that ISIS as an organization had made a Facebook page. And so everyone's like hate commenting on their Facebook page. I'm just like, man, those poor, those poor dudes. We had, we had something down here, but it was for a band from New Zealand and they were called She Had. And they were one of the biggest bands in like the alt rock, hard rock industry and had been for years, and then that happened. They changed their name because they were told they couldn't tour in the U.S. with that name, so they changed it to Pacifier. Nobody fucking gave a shit. They've recently changed back, um, I think, but they were another band that were affected because everyone looked at She Had, and apparently that has a connotation of something negative in that realm. So, yeah, so there's a bunch of random facts for people listening and playing along at home. Um, yeah, we're really getting into it yeah, right now. You're all welcome. This is this is what we call podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Ooh, I'm going to say Black Dahlia Murder only because I got into Black Dahlia Murder way before. Like when I was in high school, I really listened to like a decent amount of Black Dahlia Murder. And uh, my roommate, my senior year, he... Loved both, but he listened to a lot of Cannibal Corpse. But I always preferred Black Valley. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Easy. Yeah, sorry, Dave. Another one hasn't picked yeah. you. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, not sorry, Dave. That's <laughs> <laughs> what you get. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that was going to be an easy one, but I'm not really a Megadeth fan in general. Um. Ooh, okay. Slipknot or Machine Head? Easy, Slipknot. I do love Machine Head, but Slipknot. I mean, you gotta, you gotta represent for Iowa for sure. Hometown heroes. Hometown heroes, exactly. Um. Okay. Sick of it all or H two O? Ooh. Probably H two O. Nice. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior? Um, oh man, this is a, this is an interesting one because I wasn't, I, I haven't been into wrestling for a really long time, but these are both wrestlers from the era where I actually did like wrestling a little bit. Um, I'm probably going to say Hulk Hogan in general, like his overall demeanor. But I will say that there was like an old SmackDown game that I played a lot. And 
Ultimate Warrior like flew around <laughs> that fucking game. Like, yeah, I played it with my friend Zach all the time growing up, and that was kind of the character I always picked, just because uh, he could do the craziest shit. I don't remember which game it was. It was like a like a SmackDown game, or maybe for N sixty four or something. Yeah, if if I'm thinking of the same game, I think my character, I don't know why I ever loved him, but I loved Macho Man Randy Savage um, as a kid. So Why not? Why not? I mean, there might be like diehard wrestling fans that are like, man, this fucking idiot doesn't know anything. But, and they'd be right because I haven't. And wrestling's made like a huge resurgence. Like, I don't know what it's like there, but here, like, there's all these like, um, smaller league or you know smaller organizations and and i don't it's just i feel like i have a ton of friends now that are really into wrestling that i didn't and i'm sure they've always been into wrestling but now it's like more in the spotlight again yeah i mean australia is not as you know we have a few small things i know one of my mates who listens to my show passionately owen will be yelling at me right fucking now because he's obsessed with it and he'll be naming every leg but owen shh <laughs> we don't care um, right. Last few. You're going to get back on stage. No restrictions, no limitations. Anything fucking goes. Do you want stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? I, ah, uh, that's tough because I'm very pro stage dive, but obviously as a vocalist, I love when people are singing along. So they don't have to be grabbing the mic, but if they're stage diving and singing along, that's kind of my perfect scenario. You know, and also like I think anyone that's ever held a mic will tell you that getting the mic like smashed into your face is like not always the coolest <laughs> in general. But I love that people if people are excited enough to want to take the mic from me, fuck it. Take it. It's yours. I'll go stage dive. You can hop up on stage and I'm like fully in support of that. Fuck yeah. Because I also personally like stage diving so i could just take a little bit of a breather and you can take over i don't care fuck yeah um you're gonna go to a show do you want to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk it depends on the band um i'm not gonna say i'm in pit retirement but as i get older it takes something special for me to sort of lose my shit in that sense you know um we had disembodied play the last fest that happened. So in 2019 and I had to run up cause I was doing mostly I was at door, most of the fest. And when they were getting ready, disembodied was a big band from still is, but was a big band for me. Um, so I had to run up and get in the middle of that. And I had, I was wearing like an orange Knicks shirt and I was like this orange blaze that just sprinted into the crowd and just started fucking people up because I, I love that band. Fuck so yeah. I, I, it depends on it. De- it depends on the band. There are certain bands that can get me out, but I'd say for the older I get, the more frequent place you'll find me is, you know, tucked away where I can hear it and I can see it and see all the kids getting hyped and that gets me fucking hyped. That's kind of more my preferred place, but. I'll do both. I will mix it up for sure. Fuck yeah. Um, now you can only do one of these and the one you pick, the other one doesn't exist. So they stand alone in their own right. But let's imagine you had the choice of just touring for the rest of your life or just recording music for the rest of your life. 
Wow. Just imagine there's no limitations. You know, anything can go. You know, if you're touring, it meant your your partner and your kid are with you the whole time. But the thing with touring the whole okay. time, the thing with touring the whole time is you're just playing the same songs. There's no variation in the music. Oh man, that is that's really hard. I love recording, but if I could have my wife and kid with me, I think I'd pick touring. If kids still, if in this this fantasy mm-hmm. kids still cared and didn't have the short attention span that they do if kids still cared about seeing it every night i would play it every night is that part of this scenario do no, the or kids, do we kids end up care. playing to empty rooms because everyone's so fucking tired of hearing <laughs> the same thing kids don't care kids don't care no they're going to keep they're losing interest or they're staying interested no that they'll come out for the first year and then for the next 20, they're not there. So you're playing to other bands. Oh, no. Fuck that. <laughs> I'd rather record than fuck it. I'm not playing for my. I'm not playing the same goddamn song for myself. <laughs> no. Uh, then we're in the studio, and it is what it is. And no one will ever see it, and hopefully that's enough for them. They can just pit in their mom's basement. Fuck yes. That's cool. Pit around grandma's china. Now, last, that's right. last one. Only triple one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. The way I give it to you is the only way you can consume it. Would you like your favorite album on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Fuck. Um, I mean, CD, we can rule that out. That's not a... I don't care about that. It's definitely between vinyl and phone. Now, sound-wise, I think I'm going to go towards vinyl. Mm. There's cases for both, and let me explain them quickly. The accessibility of having it on my phone and being able to listen to it whenever the fuck I want is great. But for the pure appreciation of my favorite record cover to cover and the richness that comes with listening to it on vinyl and the experience that comes with listening on vinyl, if I had to reserve that for times where I was only home by my record player, then so be it. I'm going to go with vinyl, final answer. Great answer. Now, Doyle, first thing. Thank you so very, very much for taking time out for me. Secondly, a lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you for giving me your time, giving me your energy, giving me your effort, and giving the show a snap into your life and your passion and foreign pain. Um, Look, exceptional, uh, exciting, in-depth, and invaluable to me as a fan. Uh, but also as, uh, you know, you've, you've kind of got an Aussie bro now. so I like that. Mm. I like that. And and for me, you know, I appreciate what you do. You know, and I, I said this in another interview, and I do really mean this. Like, there are certain people that are unsung heroes of, of sort of archiving these these times and these bands, you know, photographers you know, that, that go up on stage and risk, you know, Mm. their equipment and, and do it for very little appreciation besides some Instagram reposts here and there. Um, you know, Rob Wallace did all of our, our, uh, photography. He's an excellent, you know, uh, show photographer and just honestly an excellent dude, but an excellent photographer in general. Um, Gabe the Pigeon, Mm. you know, my friend Danielle Parsons, my friend Ashley Osborne, these are people that literally put their lives on hold and, and, you know, 
make a huge effort to go out and catalog this shit. And then there's people like you that that take hours out of their, you know, more than hours. I mean, I'm sure that there was prep for this episode and we're doing the episode itself. Like, and then you're going to, you know, put time into putting it out and promoting it. You know, that's not no work. I mean, that takes time and energy. I mean, just the energy of having a conversation, even though like this has been super organic and awesome and easy, you know, like I know it's not always that way. And, you know, I think it's really important that the platform that you give to people to be able to sort of break apart their art and what they're doing, I think is really fucking important and it's not praised enough. And, you know, from our end, I appreciate it greatly. And I think that that what you're doing here is really fucking cool. So oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Dude, thank you for for all of that that you said. Like that, that's just kind of that made my heart skip a beat and I don't know whether that's because I'm getting really old or because it was very personal. It's probably because it was personal and I might have a heart murmur as well. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I mean, like that, that look, it, it's quite interesting um, to follow on with what you said is that podcasting is something that I think is an exciting thing. I don't do it for, um, definitely don't do it for listens don't do it for monetary gain i spend money i don't make money um but the thing for me is because i get to make connections for me personally as an obsessed person with music this builds a community for me not just for myself but for listeners and i feel like sometimes art is put on a pedestal and people can't connect with it but now they can connect with you and what you are and with what the music is a little bit more. And sometimes for me, I think it's important to know the backstory of a band or an artist, not just hear the music. Um, so your conversation, this conversation, while, organ- while organic and exciting, is invaluable. I've said it before, it's invaluable, um, especially because the, the music is sexy. We said it a couple of times, it's sexy, so... Um, there it is. There's that button word again. There's yeah. that button word. And like I said, man, you, you've got an Aussie bro now. So if you guys ever fucking get to Australia, maybe one day, um, man. We are. We're, I mean, that is that is one of the firm goals of this band is mm-hmm. to, you know, for Aaron, Australia is like deeply yeah. personal place for him. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And one of his favorite places on earth. But, you know, he's not the only one in this band that's like, we have to get to Australia. It's not if, it's just when. And my hope is that the world starts to settle back into some semblance of normal and we're able to cross borders more frequently and and make those things happen. But I can say firmly that regardless of when that goes back to business as usual, we will be down and playing Australia, no doubt. Well, I mean... You know, whether that takes a year or five years, um, dude, well, uh, we'll, we'll hang out. Um, we'll have a real solid hang. Yeah, yeah fuck yeah. Um, I don't know if we're going to have peanut butter, though. I think that's off the menu. Um, it's okay. Or we just buy two brands. It's fine. No, that's Sorry. sacrilege. I'm going to the supermarket. I'm only buying one. <laughs> what the fuck am I buying two for? Um, <laughs> definitely It's a smooth. really small one. I eat a lot of peanut butter. I'll get through it. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'll buy you like the mini jar, like really, really. Yeah, small. like the to go, the to go <laughs> cups. 
you know, of the extra crunchy. Yeah. No, I'll go in there and I ask for one of those sample cups. You know, they give you a sample cup and they say, what would you like? I just want crunchy in that and then give me the extra large tub of fucking smooth. <laughs> and then I'm just going to spread it on your toast anyway. Hey, Doyle. I'm going to sprinkle raw peanuts on yours, so it's fine. We'll find a, we'll find a good middle ground in there. Um, but look, I, I mean it. To thank you, man, and especially for going over time. Uh, but it was worth every every second, every minute. Um, and look, um, I will be staying in touch. Um, Please do. I, w- I won't be a stranger. I'm not going to message you at 2 o'clock in the morning unless you want me to. Um, but I pr- you can message me whenever you want. I probably right? only. I won't always answer, but I will get to it. I'll probably just start sending you Mano War lyrics. Um, no That's con- fine. No context. Just, just a line. You don't need it. <laughs> just send it. The battle yes. was forged between the castle and the soil. There you go. <laughs> That's the first one. I'm just giving you an insight. Um, look, thank you again. Um, I really do mean. I feel like um, I've kind of create a bit of a bro down with you and that that's invaluable uh for me um but yeah thank you yeah thanks brother we'll talk soon i'm sure yeah you uh have a good rest of your evening enjoy that fucking pizza all right oh i'm gonna oh, yeah. thanks buddy all right ciao. all right take care bye bye-bye
So that was my chat with Doyle of Foreign Pain. And at the end there, the first track you heard was titled We Are What We Fear. Second track was called Blood Oath. And the third and final track was titled I Thought It Was Me. All three of those tracks feature on the band's debut album titled Death of Divinity. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, download it, consume it, get the fuck into it. If you're into physicals, get online, get yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you like a bit of merch, go on, get yourself a shirt, a hoodie or some shorts. Whatever you got to do, make sure you support and back the boys in foreign pain. Now, before I forget, I need to thank Doyle again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. We're definitely staying in touch. Let's do another chat again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 177. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.